Good morning, Lomax. Good morning, St. Michael's, and thank you so much for the invitation to be with you this morning. I want to begin with an observation, and it's not the most polite of observations. I'm wondering if Pastor Nelson and I have been tricked, uh, tricked into thinking that this is World Communion Sunday. (laughs) How could it possibly be so, given the lessons that are assigned, (laughs) lamentations, and slavery. What kind of acrobatics is this going to require? And yet, here we are, Lomax and St. Michael's. More specifically, St. Michael's worshiping in your historic sanctuary at the generous invitation of someone who has become a trusted friend, Pastor Nelson. So maybe... Just maybe we haven't been tricked after all. Maybe, just maybe, these texts point us to a deep and abiding truth. And I'll get right to it. Slavery is one of the primary things that broke communion in the world. Or perhaps it is more true to say it breaks the possibility of communion before it even happens. Any desire for power lust, wealth, to acquire more, to build more, to have more, those are the things that precipitate slavery. And slavery is a manifestation of those sinful desires. Slavery is the most obvious example of our failure to see the divine in our fellow humans. Now, communion is the manifestation of the union we find in Jesus Christ. So it is a symbolic reminder that although we can find many things that make us different, the unity we experience in Christ is the most important thing of all. So perhaps it is actually quite fitting that on this first occasion of our two communities worshiping together on a Sunday morning, we hear both the the truth of our historic separation and the hopefulness of our future unity, named in Holy Scripture. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, Mm -hmm. you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Mm -hmm. What have mustard seeds and mulberry trees to do with us? I want to share with you one of my favorite stories about seeds. Trevor Dennis, in his book, Speaking of God, describes a scene of desolation. Stale, stinking, broken lampposts, flats boarded up, no trees, no grass, graffiti everywhere. For 30 years, the site had been empty since an explosion killed Mabel and Arthur, asleep in their beds in the room downstairs. No one ever found their bodies. Nothing grew there until one autumn a seed took root. Nobody noticed the plant for several weeks, but in the end, you cannot miss a sunflower. Most of the local people had never seen a sunflower. They were changed by that beauty. The people left the sunflower alone. They thought they'd get used to it, but they couldn't. 
It showed up the drabness, the desolation all around for what it was. Empty, ugly, and dead. So people grew bitter about it. It became intolerable. One evening they went in a great crowd and they trampled on that sunflower and danced on it and beat the fibers of its leaf and stem and crushed its petals. They went away in silence. And yet, the people destroyed that plant in high summer when its flower was full of ripe seed. In their dance of death, they scattered that seed over the entire site and buried some of it in the ground. So it was that the next spring, what had been a scene of desolation was covered with sunflowers. There were flowers on Mabel and Arthur's grave at last. Desolation overcome with beauty. Death that gives birth to new life. Maybe seeds have everything in the world to do with us. This morning, I want to wonder with you about this plea from the apostles. Increase our faith. I wonder whether this plea holds deep wisdom as to how we are to go about this work of rediscovering the unity that we have in Christ. Jesus' response to the apostles feels anything but sympathetic. They've come to their teacher with a deep desire to do better, to be better, to be more effective. And yet, he's only pointed out how deficient they truly are. Doesn't take a lot, Jesus says. You only need a little, and you could do truly miraculous things, he reminds them. So perhaps the size differential between a mustard seed and the mulberry bush is instructive as we think about this very relatable desire to have more of this thing called faith. I wonder if it's not the grand sweeping gestures that unbind complex root systems, but small, daily, deliberate actions that make a person truly faithful. The director of the gospel choir at my divinity school wrote a song that lifts a line from the book of Ruth of all places. He was captivated by this short biblical narrative, and as a result, I am also deeply stuck with the story of Ruth and Naomi because his music rests deep within my soul. It's short, as far as biblical narratives go, only four chapters, but perhaps the most extraordinary thing is that it tells the story of a loving and generous relationship between a mother-in-law and a Mm daughter-in-law. And if that's not enough to make you believe in God's miraculous powers, (laughs) there might be nothing wrong. I hope she's not watching. Um, <laughs> Ruth, Ruth stays faithful to her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. abandoning all cultural norms and expectations. Mm. Ruth's commitment is a small thing, mm-hmm. not meant to change the course of humanity. She simply declares, I will stay by your side. Mm-hmm. But this one small thing, eventually leads to the restoration of her mother-in-law's inheritance and births the great lineage of David. Mm -hmm. In the words of the song, once we were no people, but now we belong to each other and to God. Alleluia. In the seemingly tiny seed of generosity, Ruth breathes life into that which was once dead. 
Lord, increase our faith. In his book, The Color of Compromise, the truth about the American church's complicity in racism, Jamar Tisby recounts the story of the bombings that took place at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. A day after the bombing, a young white lawyer, Charles Morgan Jr., delivered a speech at Birmingham's all-white young men's business club. Who did it? Who threw the bomb? We all did. Every last one of us is condemned for that crime and the bombing before it and a decade ago. We all did it. Tisby powerfully cites the words of one young white man, not because he was saying anything new, but because his own awakening spoke to the reality in that city, and in particular, to those who identified as Christians. Tisby makes a powerful distinction between what he calls complicit Christianity and courageous Christianity. He writes, complicit Christianity forfeits its moral authority by devaluing the image of God in people of color. Like a ship that has a cracked hull and is taking on water, Christianity has run aground on the rocks of racism and threatens to capsize. It has lost its integrity. It occurs to me that the passengers on the boat that has run aground can continue to believe that they are still floating on water for a period of time. For a period of time, they can continue to enjoy the view, the sights, the sound, until it becomes obvious that they are stuck. Or until it becomes obvious because the waters leaking in through the hull begin to swallow their ankles. To have lost our integrity looks like earnestly approaching God's son with a plea to do better, to be better, having lost sight of what it is that we are seeking in the first place. A faith that gives life in the midst of death, an eternal home when we are destined to die. As a white Christian and a leader of a congregation, I repent of the many ways in which I and we have sinned and continue to sin through our complicit actions and deeds as humans, but more importantly, as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, increase our faith. There is another way. Tisby calls this courageous Christianity. He writes, by contrast, courageous Christianity embraces racial and ethnic diversity. It stands against any person, policy, or practice that would dim the glory of God reflected in the life of human beings from every tribe and tongue. Now, for our brothers and sisters at Lomax, I would imagine this description of courageous is superfluous. This is simply how you have understood Christianity from the beginning. But I wonder, I wonder if there is not still courage involved. Mm -hmm. Opening your hearts, Mm -hmm. opening your doors, Mm -hmm. sharing your time, when history would suggest that you should not open yourself up to take such risks. Perhaps a mustard seed. But truthfully, it feels more like a sequoia tree of grace that you have just shared. St. Michael's, perhaps the mustard seed you are bringing to worship this morning is a willingness to relinquish your need to be in control. Mm. Whether that's of the narrative of the past, Mm. a long overdue acknowledgement that we all set off the bomb at the 16th Street Baptist Church, or that we have all contributed to the institutional racism that continues to infect our society and our church. 
Perhaps the mustard seed you are bringing is simply an awareness that your pride is bound up in a worldview that you can no longer sustain. Maybe the mustard seed you are relinquishing this morning is the illusion that we can fix what needs repairing without one another. This week, I and many others watched like giddy children in wonder as a NASA spacecraft intentionally collided with an asteroid, Mm -hmm. testing whether it was possible to redirect an object on a crash course with our planet. The absurdity of crashing a craft the size of a refrigerator into an asteroid at the velocity of 14,000 miles per hour defies description and seemingly did not alter our own planetary experience at all that day. It is not hard to imagine that in the vast expanse of space there was a good chance that NASA could have miscalculated, and the whole thing would have been a miss. But they didn't. This collision made way for a possibility we didn't know existed the day before. Thousands of years ago, in an upper room, Jesus gathered with 12 disciples and shared a meal that he knew would be his last. And today we will gather around this altar, as you do often, and memorialize the food Jesus shared in that room, but more importantly, the sacrifice he made on the cross. The bread we eat and the wine we drink runs the risk of becoming ordinary or a matter of habit. Yet it is the very sustenance we need to sustain us as we seek to do the next faithful thing. This small meal that we will share this morning also makes way for possibilities we did not know existed. When we behave as people of faith, it is the very presence of God that is glorified. Lord, increase our faith. My brothers and sisters of Lomax and St. Michael's, this morning we have taken an important step. Gathering together at the communion rail with the explicit intention of nurturing a communion that has not existed before. It is a mustard seed of progress, which it seems to me is the first step and every step thereafter. Amen.